watching us live. We are MPI cohort. Uh, we are here Monday mornings. We are about to start chapel. And um, we are excited that you guys are able to see us through live. If not, you can always come and see us at another time. It will be posted up for you to come see. Now let us welcome our visionary leader, Joe Wyrostek. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you. You did so good. Awesome. And we do that introduction, so it lets us transition with all the multimedia stuff. And by the way, we know that you can't hear us through the speakers, but we're still using mics so they can hear us through the live feed. That's why. You're like, hey, there's no mics anymore. No, we just turn them down. Today, I have the honor of preaching to you a message that has come through my life of experience in ministry. So open your Bibles up to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. It's on the board as well. This image I'll talk about in just a little bit. But I want to congratulate you on receiving the call and being obedient to the call. So good job. Well done. Let that encourage you to know that other ministers like myself see in you the same thing that others saw in me. So oftentimes we start something new and we feel like we're inadequate. I'm not good enough to do this. Right now I'm learning the Greek language conversationally so that I can go back and learn it theologically and grammatically in the text. In seminary, I tried to do it the other way, learn it grammatically, and it just didn't go well. So now I'm actually trying to learn it. But it's very hard for me because I've never known another language. And so in my uh, 42-year-old brain, the cobwebs and all of that, and I think it's got to be connected to the same area as spelling because it's, it's spelling and learning a language feel the same way to me mentally. It's like a space I don't use very much. But I can say sagapo, kos, is, uh, kos, uh, no, no, sagapo, pos ise. Pos ise is like, como esta usted? How are you? Pos ise. And you guys can say kala, which is good. So I'll say sagapo, pos ise, hello, how are you? And then you'll say kala. So uh, sagapo, sagapo, pos ise. There you go. There you go. So I'm learning. And if I can understand it and be comfortable with it conversationally, then hopefully when I look at it in the text, theologically and grammatically, I can understand it better instead of it just being so foreign to me. Well, I said that to say, I never feel like I'm good enough. I feel really frustrated. I make the pouty face to my wife all the time because she has to keep correcting me. Post, ise, post, ise, you know, or whatever, you know, just over and over and over again. And it's the same thing with learning anything new. Like right now, you may get frustrated that you don't understand everything. And uh, some of the people you may be in Bible college with might have grew up in church. So yeah, they may be coming uh, at it younger than you, but technically knowing more about the Bible than you do. Because if you've only been saved a few years and they have been going to church as long as my Bethany has or somebody like that, they're going to know the Bible quite fluently. Don't be intimidated by that. Also, some of you are starting your journey a little bit later on in life. You know, you're not coming right out of high school into Bible college. Don't let that intimidate you. One of my greatest heroes, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, was a plumber and didn't start his ministry until his 50s. Uh, D.L. Moody was a shoe salesman, and I don't think he started till his late 20s or early 30s. So don't let any of that intimidate you. You belong here. God has called you. You belong here. Another thing to think about is that everybody's life story is going to be different. Every one of you is going to have a different set of circumstances and testimonies. And though right now there may not be many that identify with you, 
that doesn't, that doesn't mean God won't use you in the way he's used others, like there's something weird about you, or that he won't draw people to you with those same experiences. You know, at, at first, Catherine or Lauren was like the first kind of single mom. Now there's other single moms. And then there was Jose, the working dad that's married who already has a degree, but's going to go back and get a Bible college degree. There was a first one of those. And then there's going to be like the first redheaded, left-handed stepchild grew up and learned how to, you know, to use the bathroom, uh, potty trained only at 12 years old. And then, because they were wetting the bed up until that time, story of how they came into ministry. So don't, don't pigeonhole yourself into everybody else's story except your story. You know, everybody say, this is my story, and it's a story of amazing grace. Okay, it's a story of amazing grace. So what I want to do is just tell you a little bit about my story. You may have certain things in common. You may be able to be like, be like yeah, I can relate to that. There may be others of you go, I don't relate to anything that gringo went through in the suburbs of Indiana. I have no idea what his life was like. So I was brought up in a Christian family by my mother and father who had came to know Jesus Christ before I was born. So before I was born, they had their conversion to Christianity, moved from the big city to a small city, a big town, as I like to call it, Fort Wayne, Indiana. So I grew up in a small uh, community, like a suburban neighborhood that had all the bells and whistles, a pool and basketball courts and all those things. And what we did for fun was vandalize those things. And now I'm paying back because uh, I live in a suburban community, kind of small. And I saw the basketball goal was off of, uh, excuse me, the, uh, the soccer goal was off of the soccer field, way over on this hill over here. And my wife was like, maybe it blew over there. And I'm like, it didn't blow over there. Somebody picked it up and put it over there. Let's put it back. So we had to move across the sidewalk, this big soccer goal to put it back because it was probably the same kids we saw sitting on the roof of the, the bathrooms. They climbed up and sat on top of the little hut where they have the bathrooms in my park community. If you guys know the park, there's a little hut there with the bathrooms. They were sitting on that. They probably just moved the basketball goal and threw it across the sidewalk. That's what suburban kids do for fun. Okay, so that's what I did, even though I was brought up in church, even though I knew about God, and eventually that led me to the wrong friends and wrong decisions. And by the time I was 15, I was really doing bad, and 16, dropping out of high school, and then from 16 to 18, living like the devil, not really at home. And then I always guys tell you the story that finally, coming back and forth, in and out of my parents' house at 18, they gave me a car and some gas money for my 18th birthday and said goodbye, so that was it for me. And then that's where it really got bad for me, living like the devil and all of that. Then I, I had a crisis. I don't call it suicidal. I don't call it a mental illness, whatever. But all I know is that I had a mental crisis where I didn't like my life anymore. And I asked my mom to put me in a mental hospital. I was fully functioning, so I, I can't fit into the category of people who have lost their mind who had breakdowns. It was just my way of crying out for help. And I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to die. I just didn't want to live that way anymore. So I'm just you know, putting it all together, and I'm just like, put me in a hospital where they can help me to not want to do what I've been doing. That's the way I was looking at it. And my mom was like, well, you don't need a mental hospital. All you need is Jesus. And my, and my testimony is I didn't accept it at that time. I cursed her out and hung up the phone because I was upset. I, I basically wanted like a rehab, a change of, of, of environment and all of that. But then I realized that, you know, none of these things really is what I need. And I've been brought up a Christian. And I know that maybe if I try this, something could happen. And that was just that little mustard seed of faith. So I came home, said to my mom some arguments about Jesus. You know, what about Buddha? What about this? 
And she said, I don't know about any of those things, but I know Jesus will change your life. Sit down, pray. You know, do this and it will work. I know that. And it did. And then a few hours later, my dad came home, had some spirits cast out of me, you know, got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after that point, my parents could tell you what it was like living with me. I had a lot of uh, mental anguish, a lot of temptation, a lot of weird things going on in my life that I didn't know how to deal with. And over time, living in uh, the freedom of that deliverance, living in the freedom of mental soundness came. And at that same time, I had a heart to want to tell people about what God did in my life. And so it gradually led me to preaching on the streets and going out witnessing and doing what I knew I had seen others do in the past churches I had attended, but no one was doing at that time. So it was, I knew they had did stuff like this, so let me do it now. And I didn't know it was only special occasions, you know, so it became a regular thing for me. And one of the stories I tell is that I knew I was saved when I started taking my paycheck, going to the food bank, buying uh, food by the pound, 10 cents a pound, and giving it all away into the inner city. Like, how many know you're saved when you do something like that? Like, that wasn't an idea that would have came into my head. But I had saw people give food to the inner city at one of our churches, Vineyard. So I said, let's, let's go do that. And I, I was so naive at this time that I went and knocked on doors that were more like just urban, but not ghetto with the, with the groceries. And they're like, uh, it was it'd kind of be like walking around here. And they were like, no, we're actually okay. We don't need groceries. Because I, I had forgot really where the hood was and where the inner city was and where I should be. And they were like, you need to go over there. That's where you need to go. So then I went over there and I remembered that place over there. And I used to be scared of that place over there. And then I started giving them out into eating green projects. And then eventually my, my dad and I were talking and I felt like I should go to Bible college. And I didn't know where to go, but my dad and others were listening to these great TV preachers at that time. And not everybody on TV is bad. So one of them I really liked at that time was Rod Parsley. And he had a Bible school, a two-year school in Columbus, Ohio. And it was like the thing at that time, you know? So my dad and I, we drove out there to go check it out. I wanted to go there. I fill out my application. At this time, I've only been saved about nine months. And I just probably quit smoking about six months ago. Stopped cursing and fighting about six months ago, you know? Because there's like a three-month period where you're getting... Getting to realize like what saved really means, you know? And so I could tell you fights about a fight I got in after being a Christian. I can tell you about how I stopped quitting, how, how I got quit smoking, got set free after becoming a Christian, all of that. So anyways, I apply and then they reject me. They're like, no, we don't want you. Your, your past is too crazy for us. You need to be saved longer. We just don't want you. So I got rejected from the first Bible college I wanted to go to. This person that I wanted to be like was basically saying, I don't want you to be like me. Don't come here. That's how I took it, you know? Like, because I'm thinking, now I'm in Christianity. This guy's going to want me. You know, why wouldn't he want me? I'm a good guy. He's like, we don't want you. So we don't know what to do, my dad and I at that time, but my good friend's traveling through the country preaching, and he passes by New Orleans. He meets the people there starting the school, and at that time, it was only a couple years old. They hadn't even had their first graduating class yet. Uh, their entire school was this big, SUN, it was this big. And in my classes, most of the time, the classes I were in were about this big. When I graduated, it was only four people. And so when I, when I heard about this school, I was like, what do they do? And he's like, well, they go to the urban areas. They go downtown to New Orleans in the French Quarter. And I said, this is awesome. And it was literally, my dad might remember it better, better than me, but it was literally like the end of the summer. It was like end of July, beginning of August. And it was like, get in your app now, do this thing. I didn't even do a campus visit. I didn't even know anybody there. My family knew nobody in New Orleans. I mean, this is all faith. This is a big deal. 
and they accept me by God's grace. And my dad remembers taking that trip down there with me and him leaving me there and me crying, dude, like I am like scared. Here's this kid that used to do all these crazy things, but now I'm starting a new life in a new city with, with nobody I know, no church I know, nothing, you know? And I'm gonna go be radical for Jesus. And so that started my education with SUM and you guys now are part of how their story has gone on from there. Eventually, after one year, so I'd only been saved about one year and nine months, they said, we want you and another student to pastor a young adult ministry reaching the projects and all the inner city kids. And I'm like, uh, I have no experience doing that other than a little bit of time I dropped off groceries and I've only been saved, saved a year and a half. But because they saw potential in me, and I still like to do that with you guys, is I give you as much road as you guys need to go ahead. If you want to crash the car, that's up to you, but I'll always give you as much space as you need to keep going because people did that for me, and they allowed me to go and to do that. Now, our school is three years, and their school is two years. So at that time, they, they put me into the ministry, and then from there, I started the church and graduated and worked predominantly in the inner city with the African-American community in nine different housing projects. My dad remembers those times rolling up with a truck just like that, dropping it like it's hot, doing some rapping, giving away some groceries and preaching my guts out. The church probably got to be uh, maybe about 50 people that were not children and then maybe 50 that were, were children. So maybe 100 had about 10 interns that would come in and out throughout the year. But you know, you'd normally see about five to 10 of them around the church and it was doing great. But financially, I felt like the white Robin Hood. I had to go raise money from these suburban churches and take it into the inner city. And, and about four years into that as a height of that ministry and the outreaches would be huge. We could get as many as we could feed, as many as we could do whatever we were doing with. I did basketball tournaments, um, you know, football, flag football tournaments. We would do big outreaches with the groceries. Like I said, a giveaway semi-trucks, you know, like what they call now um, Operation Blessing with the Assemblies of God. We would work with those guys, fill up the whole park. So I saw a lot of people always coming in and out. Like that was always a part. And then I did the Mardi Gras by God's grace and led up teams. So anyways, around four years into the ministry, I started realizing that my heart wasn't only evangelism, it was also discipleship. And at that time, the denomination I was with was not really aiming their, their efforts at that. So I left the denomination I was with to join another group that was from Bogota, Colombia, that was over now a, a quarter million people, 250,000. And they were huge, Cesar Castellanos and the G12 movement. And his whole entire movement was based on every disciple makes 12 disciples. And so I do have a little fuego in me. That's when I really realized like, oh, that's my gente right there. Y'all talking the same thing I'm about. So I came into that ministry, but I realized as I traveled to Miami that they weren't about training me individually. They were just about me going to conferences. And you have to understand, I was a single man at that time. I really was still alone in the city other than the few friends that I developed throughout the years, but I'd only been there five years, mostly church planning on my own. So it's not like I could go in fellowship. The denomination I was with wasn't really, you know, something I was looking for. So I tried to find these guys and hang out with them. And they basically said the same thing, uh, similar to what the... Um, the pastor said of, of Rod Parsley's ministry, you know, uh, Rod Parsley in that Bible class, we really don't want you, you know. I went all the way to Miami to because they had a campus out there, and I said, I have been following you. I've been going to your conferences. Um, I didn't get to meet the main guy. I got to met, meet one of his 12, one of his, his guys underneath him, so it would be like meeting some of our pastoral elders. And 
And, and they said, and I said to him, I said, I just want to be mentored by you. I know I can't be mentored by this guy. That's way too much to ask. But I said, can I just be mentored by you doing what you're doing in, in this campus in Miami? I'll drive out here as often as you need me to. And he said, we just don't do it. And I said, well, what do you offer? He said, here's the books, here's the conference, that's it. And then at that point, I realized that this journey was probably gonna be a little bit different. And then at that point, we shut down the church, more out of the discouragement because I didn't have enough momentum to get the inner city to be disciples and support the things that I was doing outreach-wise. It's like we had all of these outreaches we kept doing and all of these things that I knew that the community needed, but at the same time, I wanted to stop treating them differently and start treating them as disciples, have them raise up like I was seeing in, in Columbia and all these other places, you know? So it was nothing to do with morals, nothing to do with uh, bad, bad relationships. It just, my dad will tell you, it was just a heartbreak to say, I don't think I can get this place in this amount of time to do this vision. And at that same point, my friend had a church he was leaving here in uh, Chicago, Belmont Assembly of God. And he said, hey, do you wanna come and be the youth pastor here? Maybe that will give you a transition. Because I had never even worked in a church. You gotta understand, within nine months, I go to Bible college and I just hang out with churches. Within a year or two after that, I'm starting my own church. I had never even really been in a church. And then I'm with denominations, those two major ones. Uh, the first one was the Assemblies of God and the other one was Castellanos' network. And neither one of them are what I'm looking for. So I said, well, maybe if I start over again, in a church, I can build that experience. And this is where we gotta make sure we always tell the story straight, okay? I got along with Pastor Carlos. He loved me, he blessed me. Never a negative thing between us. I never got fired, I never got put on discipline. It's just after working there for a few months, I realized we were in two different directions. Because remember, what was I always about? Evangelism and discipleship. So we parted in peace. I got three months of severance pay and insurance. I took nobody from the church. Everybody that was on my team, from Ricky and Rachel and others, were told to stay. They didn't even have to pray. Like, well, I'm gonna pray if I go with Joe. They weren't allowed to come. They were not allowed to come. I started the church with my wife at that time who I'd met from my friend coming to Mardi Gras from Chicago and she was the administrator there. Fell in love with my secretary. That's a good thing if you're single though, okay? Not if you're not. So as a pastor, I fell in love with my secretary. And so we started the church in my house over time, built it from a Bible study to renting a place Sunday night to sharing this space with the local Spanish church. And uh, they had all the money at that time. I was like, can I borrow your church just in the evening? You know, normally it's the other way around. The Spanish are coming to the gringos going, can we get the afternoon service? You know, I was like, can, can I do that? So it was all reverse humility. I don't have any white privilege. I don't know what that is. Well, that's a fact that you have it, pastor, because you don't know it. Okay, well, just let me tell you in my experience from being in the inner city with almost all African Americans to being in Chicago with the predominantly Latino community, I haven't seen them give me that privilege yet, okay? But uh, I have remained humble and teachable by God's grace. I let the, the urban community and the people of New Orleans teach me their ways. My dad will tell you, you couldn't tell the difference between me and them after a few years. I just fit in. It was no different to me than hanging out with anybody else. And then now with my gente, you know, and all the little jokes that I crack, you know, if you didn't know it, you might think I'm one. You know, one, one of the gente. But 
I give myself away because I got to be true to myself as well. I don't want to be fake either, you know. So I try to be true to my upbringing and love the culture that my parents gave me in that. But at this point, I really don't care about any culture other than Christ's culture. I just enjoy little, little things here and there. So anyways, my point is, after we started this church, renting and doing all these things, it began to grow. And some people from Belmont eventually came, but they had to come with their pastor's blessing. So they showed up about two years later after they closed the college ministry that I had started over there. And they said, Pastor Joe, we want to come work with you. And I said, okay, we'll get the blessing from your pastor and come on. And uh, they said they did that and they came, but then I got a call from that pastor and he said they did not do it the way I wanted them to do that. And I said to them very simply, and Ricky will tell you, I said, well, you better go back there and not leave until he says you're good. Okay, so whatever you hear about my time in Chicago, if it's not that, you tell them they're a liar and talk to one of our elders who came from that situation. We never split a church. We never took anybody from another church. All of the people that we had here, if they came, had to come through a blessing, and it was mostly years later. The only one that would have known me from Belmont that did come was Jessica and Salvador, but that was because they had already backslid from the time I was a youth pastor, and I hadn't seen them for a while. And then when I started the church, they went to Belmont, Belmont and said, where's Pastor Joe? And they go, he's not a youth pastor anymore. And they didn't know anybody there. So they go, well, what's he doing? Oh, he's starting a church. And they came to our church. That was it. You guys get what I'm saying? I just like to say that because every now and then people try to compare themselves to me. But you know, you can imitate, but you can't do what God has done. Amen. There's many imitators. There's many imitators. By God's grace, I started this church under the covering of Brother Anthony Freeman, who was the person I met on day one at SUM Bible College. I have never not been in good relationship with the people who have been my pastors. Pastor Grogan and Pastor Freeman have, uh, Pastor Grogan married me, Pastor Freeman, so I went to Bible college with. Never, never, ever, except for one time early on in the Bible college years when I was pastoring a church, I thought I knew everything, and Brother Anthony and I got into a little spat, and it lasted for a little while. But other than that, I've been under his covering for almost 20 years, Pop, Papa G, Pastor Grogan, for almost 18 years, and I never would have started this church, by God's grace, if it wasn't for Brother Anthony and his mentorship in my life. I didn't just pick somebody and say, you be my covering, be my apostle. It, that man in my life spoke life and death to me concerning this church. This would have died if it wasn't for his voice. God used his voice to speak to me. And oftentimes we, we think all we need is our relationship with God, but that's not how the Bible works. Even Paul needed Ananias to pray for him, to, to bring him that deliverance. Uh, even David needed Samuel. And you go through these times, we need each other, not for the sake of our salvation, but God will oftentimes discipline us and, and correct us if we're not listening to other people because then what are we saying really? What we're really saying is God only gets it right with you and can't use anybody else. And God forbid when people start ministries like that because just look how terrible that's going to be. They're basically saying no one else can speak into my life except, except uh, you know, the people I allow in that are under me but nobody over me. Well, that's always going to fail. That's never going to work. And one of my biggest regrets, and I always say to this day, is how I left Belmont. Even though he did all those nice things for me, when I wrote my letter to the denomination, I shared too much of what was going on in my heart, and I sent the letter out, and Papa G read it, and he said, you didn't send that to anybody, did you? And I said, I sent it to the district. He said, you need to apologize right now. You sound like a cocky young man that thinks he knows everything. And, and God is my witness from the worship leader there, Brandon at that time, who I helped get a job, to my wife. I begged 
Pastor Carlos to let me come back and apologize to him in person. He wouldn't take my calls. And then I begged that he would let me apologize to anyone he shared the letter with because he shared the letter to other people on staff. And I even said to him, I said, I'll come back and work at the church as a janitor so that people can know that that was not the right way for me to say it. Because I, I, and once again, it wasn't like I cussed him out. It was just my heart from the day one. It was, I came from being a church planner and doing evangelism discipleship. The reason why I'm resigning is because I don't see evangelism and discipleship. I have tried to start these things. These things have not been accepted by the people. That's all I was putting there just to get it out there. And, and, that, and that caused that firestorm among the staff and things. And like I said, it took almost three years for him to return my call. Now, I don't think that's Christian. That's between him and God. I only mention it to say that I know, and you can hear his side of the story too, right? But I say that to, to tell you my biggest regret is I wish when I would have left, I would have only only shared with them and the people that which pertain to them, not my heart, my bigger goal in all of that. And uh, even to this day, Pastor Carlos, at any time, any time, and this is what I want to speak very clearly, he can come and preach at this church. I have nothing but respect for him. He could come in tomorrow and preach here, and I would honor him. And that's why some of you who have seen the relationships that I have are mostly much older than me. Like you met Pastor Ray or Papa G, these guys. It's because a lot of my peers didn't know how to honor leaders like that and do those things for them. I've had the great opportunity of being around great men of God, and that's That's why they love me like their son and so forth, because they see that I honor the body of Christ. And have I done some things wrong, you know, in in my zeal, wrote a letter that shouldn't have been wrote? Sure. But it was never meant to be taken that way. And some of the relationships I developed with good pastors here is Pastor Choco. I think, to me, that's the second best church in the city. That's just my opinion. First, of course, is Metro Praise International. At the beginning of our church, Pastor Choco, he offered me a new life covenant campus. We could have been a campus. That's how outstanding of a reputation I had with him. He would have let us become a new life covenant at that time. It just wasn't the right thing. God closed that door, uh, but I had already preached for him earlier and things like that. God blessed it. Uh, pastor Barry Hill, I also interviewed to be his youth pastor, uh, and it didn't work out. He actually rejected me. I came on the same weekend and interviewed for my friend's church and Barry Hill's church, and I thought Barry Hill and I would have gotten along better because we were in more of the same style, but he didn't want me either, so he didn't accept me. But when Barry Hill went through the things that he did in his building, And uh, he had some turmoil going on with the denomination. Guess who he asked to use the building for? Uh, Guess who he asked to, to rent a building from and all of that? Us. And I never charged him anything. I said, you cannot pay me. But then he would slip checks in our offering bucket. Okay, so we have a great reputation with people that have gotten to know me over the years. They know who we are. Choco knows who we are. Barry Hill knows who we are. There's some others here that know who we are. And sadly, some of the relationships I've had with pastors aren't working out because they didn't keep their integrity. And I remind them of when they had an issue with their wife and they should have stepped down, but they kept pastoring and I walked away from them. One of my good friends, pastor of the church, right in this community, had a large following, a lot of things going on. And I don't want to name their name. Some of you know them very well. But uh, when things went wrong, he threw the entire ministry away. But the thing was, he cut off people like me way earlier than that because he knew people like me would keep him accountable to his marriage and to his ministry. And now this is what's beautiful about this story is he left his church in shambles and cut me out of that church years ago, but who's still there now helping that church? Great friends with the leaders of that church 
Here I am. And I love those people over there. I just don't want to mention their name because they're going through a lot of rebuilding right now and I'm there to support them. But the man that now pastors the church is my friend because when I got cut out, he brought me back in because that guy left it in a shambles. So I'm one of those people and I, you know, I'm sorry to take up all this time, but if I don't do it in chapel, when will you guys hear these stories, you know? So, you know, I go verse by verse by verse by verse in everything we do around here. I was almost going to go through Thessalonians, but I said, you know what, let me, you know, I felt the Lord even give me this as a heart. Let me wait till after the new year to try to do something like that because many of you here have not been in a life group with me. You haven't been in a discipleship class with me. The only time you're ever with me is on Sundays, except maybe a few fellowship times or, or an outreach here or there. So I think it would be fair for us to start this relationship by me telling you my past you know, helping you see some of what I've been doing in ministry and then to understand what we're doing now and then show, show you some of these things for even the old timers here. Some of these things that would be life lessons that I've gathered around the way. But before I get into the life lessons, does anybody have a question about my past? And before you do, uh, let me just say this. Going from SUM at that time, getting an associate, when I came and started the church here by God's grace, I had so much free time. I went back and got the bachelor's got the masters, wrote all of those materials we now use. Do you know why I write the materials? One time somebody came in, they go, why is it only Joe's book here? You know why? Because only Joe will give them away if they can't afford it. You guys understand? That's why. And you want to know why Joe became the great author that he is, typing five words a minute and four of them are wrong? Uh, you know, you want to know why? Because when I asked at the beginning of this church, could I copy the materials from that discipleship movement I was in? They said, uh-uh-uh, it's copyrighted. You have to buy every single copy if you want them to use it. And I said, what we're going to do by God's grace is write it and give it away. And just as of two weeks ago, a pastor in New Orleans sent to me his entire discipleship program that's almost identical to ours, but has their church's name on it, and it gives them an opportunity to have their stuff. And all I asked is that somewhere at the beginning of it, you say, taken from the materials of Metro Praise International, et cetera, so that people know we're in relationship, that they don't think you're stealing it from me or plagiarizing it, that I've given you permission to literally copy and paste, have a cover that makes your church look good on the top. If there was a lesson you think should be in there, put an extra lesson. If you wanted the wording to be different, go ahead and use it. And uh, I don't know how many churches have done that, but I've given a lot of churches permission to do that. And overseas, uh, we've had churches use it. And there was a time where we tried to start going out overseas and doing it when I was getting the emails from India that said, come to our country because we need you. I actually believed them and did that. And it was quite a roller coaster ride of travels. We went to India, we went to Nepal, got pastors in Pakistan. So that number of 500 got to about 50, uh, 250 around the world very quick. But the only problem was, I think after we left, they would take down the Metro Praise banner and put up the next banner. I think they were doing a lot of different people's ways of doing things. We still... We still have a man in Nigeria that says he's doing our church, and every now and then he'll send me a newsletter that says Metro Praise Nigeria. We'll see when we get to heaven. I said, I said to all of those guys, I'm closing it down until you come here and build a relationship with me because going over there, it's getting too messy, and I think money is, is clouding your vision. They're so desperate. I don't think they're evil pastors. They're just so desperate. You have to understand what $100 just means to them. Just me giving them $100 a month would change everything. We bought them mopeds, motorcycles, computers. It got pretty real for a while. But like I said, it wasn't 
what we would want in our foreign mission field. Now I want to start it with you guys. So anyways, I went back and got my education, and now I'm still getting my education, still pastoring, so some things don't change. Okay, any questions about my past, feel free to get as personal as you want. I didn't marry till I was 28, so that was 10 years from 18 to 28 being a Christian. That's why I had the reputation of bachelor to the rapture. So I don't want to hear any of y'all complaining. If you have to be single for two years, three years, you come talk to me. Bro, you went from being a Christian to being married, man. This guy's, you see, every testimony is different. You know, I would have loved that testimony. Got saved, got married, went to Bible college. Yes, Lord, I'll take all that. And honestly, a lot of my friends, like my dad will tell you, a lot of my good friends in Bible college, bridal college, as they call it, got married within the first year. My friend Dylan, my other friend Mike, and all of these other guys, man, they were just getting married, and Juan and all of them, and you're talking years. I mean, it's one thing to watch a friend get married and think, I'm going to get married next year in two years. I'm talking, I watch my friends get married, I'm preaching in their weddings, standing up in their weddings, and it took eight more years for me to get there. So that was real. That was real. Any other? Oh, that was my own comment, but any questions? Yes. I had to stop here talking. Yeah. Excuse me, do we still have the mic so they can hear it? Yeah, pass him the mic. Go ahead. So uh, while you're going through school and um, building your, your ministry and, uh, you know, to where you are now, yep. has there ever been a, chance, a time where uh, everything's just been so overwhelmed that you just felt like you don't know what you're doing anymore? Or, yes. Or like what you're doing is just a waste of time. And, like, if you have how... Did you overcome it? Yes. Well, I've shut down churches. We've shut down campuses. We've had people leave. And the hardest one was Irving Park because we went from here with a little bit less than 100 and we thought we could start somewhere new and have more space and all of that. But the increase of our finances was so much greater. And when we couldn't pay the bills there, we never owed them anything. We just couldn't keep paying. I just said, I, I don't have any more. I tried to negotiate. It just wasn't working. So you, you're, ta- you're talking about, you know, we were paying around 4000 here a month. It was 10000 there. Because I was thinking we were going to grow, we were going to blow up. And we did in some ways. We, we grew by 10, 15, 20 people. Like um, a lot of the people you know came from there. Um, David and Amy came from there. Tina came from there. Uh, Wampler. You know, a lot. I could be here for a while. A lot of people came from there the two and a half years we were there. But me signing this five-year lease just blew me up, dude. I ended up having to claim personal bankruptcy because I put my name on the line. And then they sued us and the church. That's why we had to go from Metro Praise to Metro Praise International. We had to shut down Metro Praise. And I talk about that in the book. And at one point, I got so scared, I called my dad and I said, will you let me come live with you? And I'll come pastor in the city because I don't even know if I have a place to live. And that's always the one time I said, my dad said the wrong thing. He's like, no, you can't, you know, but then he changed his mind. But then he says, he claims he was trying to give me faith. Like you, you, you know, but when he said, no, you remember that you like, that kind of set me off. Cause I was so mad. I was like, come on now, dad. But, um, I'll let him explain himself when he has the mic, but I got it right now. Yes. There was another time before that when we were here and it just like, I got the numbers I could show you. I mean, the first year was just a couple do- you know, a dozen. It took us like three years to get to like 50. You know, it took so long because you just got to understand everything we were doing is what you're doing now. And think about how long it's taken for you to become a 201-er or this and that. I mean, just imagine starting with nothing. That's how long it was taking. That's why when people leave our church and they take the B team with them and then make them stars, I never did that. I remember the very first woman that we won to the Lord at the video game time I was playing. Actually, the church started from video games. I was playing video games with some people from Belmont, and they had some friends over, their 
friends, the Montezes and others, and they said, I heard you're a pastor. And I said, yeah, so I started preaching to them. And while my friends were going to Belmont, their friends started coming to our church because they got saved. Well, she wanted to become a leader. One of these girls, she wanted to become a leader. And she said, what do I have to do? I said, you have to be here at this time and then you stay and blah, 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 blah. She said, I can't do that because of my job. Can I come about a half hour later? And I said, no, just let us know when you're ready to do that. She got offended, walked up and got up and left. This was before the service even started. Got up and left. I'm thinking she's coming back. I didn't see her for over a year. That was one of our first converts. So I couldn't even get a 101-er at times. I mean, in their mind, if you think about most churches, it's, you better be happy I want to volunteer. You know, blah, 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 blah. I was never opposite of that. Never, not like I wasn't that way back in New Orleans days. I'm saying when we started this, I had already been through all of that. I had already been in big churches. I already worked in places. I already grew big ministries and all that. I knew how it looked. I, you know, I knew what we wanted here. What we needed here was disciples. That was it. So I remember meeting guys that, you know, I would beg them and they would just treat me so bad. I would beg this one guy. I'd be like, man, let's do it. He's like, well, if you want to, you can meet me on my 15 minute break at 1130 at night because that's the only time I got. I mean, that's how cheap he figured what I was doing in his life. Like he wouldn't even give me the time of day unless it was a 15 minute break in his midnight shift. And I just remember, I'll cry right now telling you the story. I remember coming with the book that I had wrote, printed out, lesson, whatever. And the guy goes, I haven't even gone over that lesson. Like, let's just hang out, Joe, you know? I mean, it was devastating. You know, it was, it was hard. And then we started the youth group with four people. Started the youth group. I was both the senior pastor and the, uh, you know, the Sunday pastor and the, and the Friday pastor. Started with four people. Two of them were the ones that we knew from the other youth group, once again, who had backslid, who had heard about me and wanted to come here. That's Adam and another young lady. And then they brought two friends. But we went out here and built it to over 100, which was the largest youth group on the west side or whatever, northwest side. Out of all of those guys, we built it from winning souls. That's where you see all those people came. They came because they were one. Jared was one to the Lord. Are you guys tracking with me? So the, the idea was I have gotten discouraged at different times, um, but God kept me because of his grace and because I was able to hear his voice through others, others. Because when I was confused about wanting to leave early on, my parents were like, that's not the way to go. When I was discouraged about trying to go back home to my family in Fort Wayne, that's not the way to go. When I was talking to my wife, you see, you've got to listen to other people. And that's one of the things I even see now with my friends who have uh, committed adulteries and all these things and dropped out of ministry, you can always tell because they cut off those voices. When you cut off those voices, just, just put up the sign now, three miles down the road, bridge is out. And, I, you know, and it may not be a mile, it may not be two, but it's 10 miles down the road. That bridge is out. That, they're going off that cliff. I am telling you, just push the button, start counting it down. I watch them do it over, and it's almost like I live in the Groundhog's Day movie, if you've ever seen that, where he lives the same day over and over again, because I see it the same way. Like I always, I'm looking over here at Mildred because she knows the pastor in the church I'm talking about. That young man reminds me of my other friend, and this friend, and that friend. I've seen him do it over and over and over and over again, and it's just like, man, you gotta keep those people in your life. 
So my parents, Christians and others, uh, like, like parent, Christian parents, like my parents and my wife and others would speak to me. So what I would say is if you ever get discouraged or anything like that and you're in the clouds, you're in zero visibility, listen to the people you've trusted before that day. See, I remember calling up Brother Anthony, and I remember saying, Brother Anthony, the last thing I want to do is start a church again in my house. That's the last thing I want to do in Chicago. People are going to say I'm splitting off Belmont still to this day. Some people say that. Other people are going to think we're a cult because I know how we're going to start it. I know what we're going to have to go through. And he said, Joe, do not worry about them. Put your head down and go start winning souls. And my wife and I went out for almost three years straight every Friday and Saturday to Belmont and Clark every Sunday out here and every Wednesday and Saturday to those parks. There are people serving God today because of those souls that were saved. There's a woman that's now married to a deacon who lives in Champaign-Urbana who ended up going to Pastor Grogan's church who was one to the Lord at Reese Park. Okay, I mean, I'll keep you here all day. And you guys know your testimonies. It's not like I'm telling this to some foreign group of people. You know how you guys got saved. Most of you, as I look around, except for maybe one or two of you, came here as a card-carrying member from another church that you were serving at. Like, so you, you were at a good church, and you said, okay, I'm gonna try to find another good church. You know, so, Like, nobody except for Lawrence came here that way. All of you, even if you were a part of churches before, were lapsed in your going to church, uh, except for Marco. You were going to a church, right? Okay, so Marco and Lawrence were the only ones, correct? All the rest of you got one to the Lord, either in a backslidden state from another ministry you were a part of, or you had never been a part of a church like this, correct? Amen. I mean, that is what it is. That's never been any different. And still to this day, the most honoriest people I work with are those coming from other churches with their good standing because then they come here with the idea that they're owed something from over there. And I always tell them, if it was so good over there, why'd you leave? If you're leaving to come over here, you can't do it the way you did it over there. You have to do it our way and we're not hop skipping and jumping you. In the very beginning, if you were saved in my 101, I was treating you almost like you were a pastor because I was like, now you're doing it. You're radical because I went through so many people I didn't want to do it. But then those people began to backslide and that's why we began to make it more harder and harder and harder, the counting of the cost because we were tired of getting burned out. And even to this day, oh my gosh, my biggest mistakes have come back to haunt me by the way people have left because I gave them way too much than what they were ready for, than what they were, and it ruined them. They went into sin and then I tried to restore them too fast. That's why now in the church, we have people that are called um, the character council, like Ricky and Rachel and them are on it because they're tired of me saying, this is a pastor. He's gonna stick with us for a while. And then he sins and then does something crazy and then people leave with them, right? Like they're just done with those people coming in and out. That's why now you may look and go, well, I would like to be, uh, look at my story and go, I would like to be a pastor at a year and a half save too, you know? Well, I was in a different system and sadly, because you, you, you might say, well, it's just a Metro thing. No, it's not. Out of all of my peers, I'm one of the only ones. One of, the, one of the guys that first took us witnessing to the French Quarter, Greg, I became back to, went back to being a Catholic. I mean, I could tell you the silliest stories, man. Another one of my guys I went to Bible college with, how about this, you wanna hear a story? Uh, he, he, was, he was traveling because the beach was right by us in New Orleans. It's only a few miles down the road, but you got to go through all these twisty roads. But you can get to a beach in about an hour. So he started going to the Gulf Shores Beach, which is less than two hours away, to hang out. He came back and said, we found Christians over there and all of this and that. And then before you know it, he's dating. And before you know it, he's engaged. Well, we end up finding out that he had been having sex with her from one of his first trips. 
That guy got kicked out of Bible college, never came back. That was like my roommate. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? I mean, I could just keep you here all day. Um, other ones of my friends were going to the clubs, getting high. I mean, nothing changes in, in the church world. It's all the same. So uh, you may be rare among the people you've been with. I'm rare among the people I've been with, okay? So let's all be who God's called us to be and not give up in the process, amen? Let's hold on to more questions. Let me put the scripture out there. It says in Philippians 4, 11 through 13, I am not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can relate to Paul's situation here. I grew up in a town where we had some of the largest churches in the vicinities. We had churches that were the size of malls, okay? I had friends that were working at those churches at the age that I was starting my church, and they were owning homes like the one I live in today. They were driving new cars like the one I have today at 42 after 20 years of ministry. Are you listening to me? They were getting it as young men, okay? My friend's parents heard about me living in the ghetto with holes in my floor because they would build them up like that with rats and roaches. They began to send me food packages. The Northrop sent me food packages. So that is how in need I was as a new pastor. My friends are over here living like this in the suburbs of Indiana, graduating Bible college, getting jobs that are paying them 40, 50 a year, and that's humongous for a young person to have. And I'm living off a few hundred dollars and people are literally sending me groceries from that church, okay? But I also know what it's like now to buy my first brand new car. This is the first time I have ever brought a brand new car. And that was two days ago. Over 20 years of ministry, I was able to buy my first, brand, well, I'm leasing it, a lease, a brand new car. What's that? Yeah, that's pastor's car. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And we don't have to take up any extra offerings for it. I'll tell you how budgets work. I'll tell you, this is very simple. I was paying about $300 for our minivan. We didn't need any more because we got a 15 uh, passenger van. That, those, those, the monthly payment on that's about 450. So where's the 150 going to come from? I'm not taking up extra offerings. I'm not asking for extra money. I got to take it out of another part of my budget. And I had to ask myself, is $150 extra out of my spending money a month, which is about $400, worth having this vehicle? Money doesn't grow on trees, people. You get what I'm saying? And so there's no rocket science behind these kinds of things. You save up, you work hard, you budget your money. So I'm able to relate to both. Now, your story may be way worse than my story. You may have been born in a house with, with roaches, you know, or you may have come from the mansions of Barrington. To me, that doesn't matter. What we all can identify with now is that in ministry, we're going to have up times and we're going to have low times because I've even seen the richest of people lose their mind and take their life. One of those pastors from California, he came from a pastor's family. He was rich as a pastor. Their church was huge. And that's the guy who hung himself, if you remember a few months ago when I was exposing suicide and those things. So the struggle is real. The struggle's real for everybody. The devil's not giving anybody a free ride. He is a, he is a liar. He is a thief. He is, he's the one that come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a roaring lion, okay? But what I want you to see in closing here, and we'll see if I continue this when I come back because I'm on a schedule here. 
that there's going to be ups and downs in ministry. And you could make this as long as you want because there's a ton of things to get excited about and there's a ton of things to hurt you. But what you need to learn is how to be content, as the Bible says, in any and every situation. You've got to learn that. That's the greatest lesson if I can give you at the beginning of the year to help build a foundation for those of you here wanting to do ministry. Learn to stay steady in the presence of the Lord. Learn to stay steady. Because when I was in Bible college and we saw a couple hundred people come to an outreach, where was I at? I was on the mountaintop. This is awesome. But what would I do the next week when they wouldn't come because it was an outreach. We weren't giving away stuff. Now we only got a dozen in the park. Now I would feel low. I would go raise money. This church would give us, you know, $10,000, get to preach in this mega church, whatever. And then what would I do? I would go home and then I would take up an offer. I'll get all excited. Then I'll go home, take up an offering with the church, you know, about this size and it only be 20 bucks. Then you feel low. You have to learn to not let your emotions dictate your identity or your calling. Do not let your circumstances or your emotions dictate your identity or your calling. Circumstances and emotions change. They change all the time. That card could get repo next month. We go into another recession, people stop giving. I can't get paid, but I'm still gonna love Jesus. You guys get what I'm saying? And it sounds funny, but I've already gone bankrupt. And most pastors are ashamed to tell these stories. That's why nobody talks about the real deal. And I learned something from that. Never sign on a half a million dollar lease unless you have a half a million dollars. I should have never put my name as the guarantor. I should have said, dude, I don't even make more than a couple thousand a month. How can I guarantee beyond the church that I will help it with my money? I get paid from the church. If the church don't have any money, I don't have any money. And they didn't believe me. They came after me. They thought they were gonna get a denomination to back me. I told them over and over again, I have nothing. I said, you're gonna spend more money on your lawyers than you'll get out of me. And with my lawyer, I wrote out a whole list of my assets. And you know what it was? about $2,000 in furniture, two cars. At that time, it was a station wagon and a Chrysler or whatever, maybe $5,000 in cars and maybe a couple thousand dollars in the bank. I said, I don't even have $10,000 in wealth and you're suing me for almost 500, 400 some thousand dollars. I would be in Peter Geraci's office. Peter Geraci, that's a bad day if you find yourself there. I was in Peter Geraci's office, that's the bankrupt guy. And uh, they're like, how in the world do you owe Metro Praise 450,000 and Metro Praise owes them 450,000? Like, how did this thing happen? And I'm like, because I was dumb and I put my name on the line and said, I'll guarantee Metro Praise will do this for these people. Now I'm not doing that. I told Ricky and all of them, because everybody wants to know when we're getting the building. I said, we're gonna get a building when you guys raise the money and we're ready to go. Until then, let's put a thousand in this place. Let's go back to the days of Bogota, Colombia, and India. I've seen them put hundreds and hundreds. You'll be surprised how many they would fit in here because we're not growing beyond what we can, what we can afford. And so I just tell you that you, you're gonna find these things and you gotta keep your balance in ministry. You gotta stay even keel. You can't let the highs identify you. If you live by people's praises, you'll die by their criticisms. You can't live by the person that said you're the greatest pastor that I've ever met. Do you know that every person who has ever left this church has at one time had tears in their eyes, said, you are like a father to me. Every one of them, all the men, let's put it that way, all the men. I wish I had that on videotape right now, right? Put them all up here. 
You're like a father to me. No one else has done this for me. You have loved me. You have pursued me. You have cared about me. Your motives are pure. You do nothing but good for me. You take me on vacations when you go. I do everything I can with what I have for people. My parents have hosted so many of our interns and pastors and leaders, and and I've taken them on fishing trips. Berto and I have been on a fishing trip, and and Jared and I have been on boats together, and, and I've been to the Bahamas with Chris Vitale. I mean, I have shared every part of my life with people. You guys have been at my house. You understand that. At some point, I had to say, I can't do it for everybody all the time, so now we do it for those who are elders and deacons. And one day, it might only be for elders. And then another day, it might be for only pastoral elders. Another day, it might be only for apostolic elders, because we're over nations now. But at every stage of the game, it's always been, whatever I have, I give. Whatever I can do to help, here it is. Giving away cars. That station wagon we gave to you, and you need to get running again, sir, was a gift from my parents when we got married to have kids. Are you listening to me? That was given to you. See, it it was never in my mind. You'll never see me selling anything. I, I understand some of you have to do that. That's okay. But to me, a seed is better than a sale. A seed is better than a sale. Sow a seed and stop trying to make money at garage, you know, garage sales. Sow seeds into people's life. Be generous and watch what God will do. You'll never see me selling anything, anything. I don't care how big it is, how small it is. I'm giving it away. I'm sowing it because I want to reap a harvest that that 99 cent toaster can, can't give me. Are you listening? Now, I know some of you are in business and you have to sell and do things. Business is another thing. I'm just saying, when you're looking at those old dresses, you're looking at that, give it away. Use that Good Samaritan page to give everything you have away. Cars, give it away. Sow sow your way out of poverty and lack. I believe in that principle and I've lived by it my whole life and I've known people who have lived by it their whole life and that's the way it's gonna be for me, amen? That's why nothing ever is charged here. That's why there's never a conference fee. That's why there's never an outreach fee. Anything you ever buy here, technically buy, is because we had to buy it from somebody else. I don't make paper. So if you want the paper of the book, buy it. You want it for free, it's online right now. You get my point? Chicago for Jesus. People use this all the time. I see other organizations uh, using this. A a private school out on the south side uses it. That's where... uh, um, Amanda Nieves went to. I don't even know if they asked for permission. I don't even care. Use it. Go do something for God. We copyright our books. We copyright our logo because we don't want people to use it and abuse it. But we do nothing here based on money. Everything is free. Take it. Receive it. Anything that's a youth trip or anything like that, we have to pay the youth convention. We have to pay them to do that. Do you guys get that? So if we got to pay them, we're going to say, here's the charge. But we always say even to our youth and to our children, if you can't pay it, we'll do the scholarships. Here's the deal. Come to the, come to the, the meeting. You know, do these things to earn that scholarship so that you can go. But there will no, never be any of those fees here. Are you listening? Okay. So here they are that, that I just wanted to talk to you about. The Bible says, you know, study to sell, show yourself approved. You're going to love learning in Bible college. You're going to scratch that itch. There are people right now digging ditches. There's construction going on. There's people working hard. You guys know many of you have hardworking jobs. You get the privilege to take time in the middle of your day and study God's word. That should be a privilege to you. That, that should be a blessing to you. They all, though it may come with responsibilities of homework and all of that, I hope you find it as a mountaintop experience. When you learn something, you're like, man, I never knew that before. Boy, that's awesome. I learned something about God. You are doing, like I said, what Ricky, the police officer, doesn't get to do. You're doing something that the other firefighter or whoever doesn't get to do. You get to study the faith that we all know and love every hour of this day and throughout the week for a chance to teach it to others. But at the same point, 
you might get frustrated with the church because now you know all of this and you look at this church and you look at that church and you look at this pastor and this televangelist and you are like, what are they doing? Sometimes I listen to pastors preach and I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you even talking? Where are you connecting the dots here? Now, I know today was a little bit more story time, but at some point you gotta you know, make connections with people and I'm trying to do that in our chapels. But you know me, I just wanna get into the word and teach it. But it will even get frustrating with you and your ministry. The people you're trying to teach won't get it. And you'll have to tell it to them again and again and again. And sometimes you feel like you're going crazy. Like, does no one get this? This is what holiness is. This is what salvation is. This is what discipleship is. This is what it means, thou shall not lie. Like, let me tell you again what it means not to lie. When you answer these questions, when I'm being accountable with you, thou shall not lie. Another high that you, you will experience is winning souls and making disciples. It will never get old to you when you see people's lives transformed. You know, seeing Sadia's testimonies going up, watching Jackie and Lawrence, you know, start off their engagement, knowing each one of your uh, testimony, James's testimony, you know, being baptized, you know, tears coming down our eyes, just joy in our heart, you know, Mildred, just all of your testimonies. I love them. I, I am so thankful for them. And, and you will feel that as you win souls and make disciples. Now, God does the saving, we know, but the Bible actually says he who wins souls is wise. That's the King James. So there's nothing wrong with saying we're going soul winning. We know it's not us, it's God through us, but there is a, a, a proper way to say soul winning. We're going to go win souls. You will see souls won. You will make disciples. It doesn't say the Holy Spirit comes down and moves your hands and makes you make a disciple. No, it says you will make a disciple with the Holy Spirit. So you will be there with the Holy Spirit being the hands that touch their lives, the, word, the, the voice that speaks, okay? You won't be the Holy Spirit's puppet. You'll be a co-laborer with Christ doing these things. This is beautiful. And at the same time, you will watch people backslide. You will watch Judas's come into your life. The old preacher's joke is Jesus only had one Judas. I've had 20 Judases. And the reason why they say that is because Jesus was only here for three years and I've been here for 30 years. That's what the preachers say. Because The longer you're here, the more Judases you're going to have. The way I look at it is, if one out of 12 was a Judas, then take that as a principle. One out of every 12 we have can betray us, do us wrong, and, and, and want to hurt us. Now, we don't hold it against them. We forgive them. We love them. But we have to let them go. We can't force them to stay. I used to try to get people to stay who were acting like Judases. I used to stay up with them all night long. Man, don't do this. Don't do that. I remember one time I was talking to a young man, and I, and I went through the whole thing, man. I had 12 ways you know you're running from God. I just wrote the blog and I went through every one of them. He goes, that is me. That is me. He said, even my mom, she's a non-Christian. She said, I shouldn't leave this church. But he said, I'm so offended at X, Y, and Z. And I just don't like this church anymore, whatever. Dude, he ended up getting a girl pregnant where he was at and all these other things. Do you think he ever came back and said, sorry? Do you think he ever said, you know what, dude, I was wrong. I blew it, dude. No, very seldom did they come back with that attitude. Most of the time they just shipwrecked their life. Um, man, I just had a great one, and, and I'll let him tell you a story, but Marcus actually married the young lady who left our church the wrong way. She ended up coming back that time I was telling you about her wanting to be a leader, but it didn't work with her schedule. She ended up coming back. Marcus ended up marrying her. We took Marcus and them under our wing. I married Marcus. Then they went to Bible college in California, had some hard times, came back, had some more hard times. They both backslid. They got a divorce and all of these different things happened in their life. Well, 
Marcus ended up coming back. And I thank God for him because he texted me one day and he's like, is this Pastor Joe's phone? And he had been one of those guys that was hating me on Facebook. Let me just tell you this. I have haters you know not of. You may run into somebody. You may run into somebody and the moment you say Metro Praise, you're like, I go to Metro Praise. They may be like, you don't know Metro Praise. I'm gonna tell you about this. Well, then you can just, you can just tell them. You can just tell them, hey, go talk to Pastor Joe and make it right, you know, because you know, you know I don't run from any of that stuff. So anyways, he, he was one of those people that was always hating on us, uh, just doing bad things on the internet. But he, he wrote me one day, he goes, is this Joe's phone? And I'm like, yep, it is. And he's like, man, do you want to talk? And I ended up talking with him, so he ended up coming back. You know what he ended up telling me? And I don't remember exactly the details, but it was like he reached out to a bunch of people from his past. And I think I was only one or one out of two pastors that even responded to him pastors were not even willing to take time out of their day to really get back in touch with this kid who was now a man that was divorced, that became atheist. But for us, it was precious. He was always precious to us. And that's the way we look at all, all these people that come and go for whatever reasons that they leave. We're not going to stop doing what God's called us to do, but it does hurt. And so I just want to be honest with you. The ups feel good. That is true. We're not Buddhists saying living without emotion is a good thing. Um, I don't feel anything. No, celebrate. The Bible even says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Emotions are real and circumstances are real. I don't walk around just going, well, everything's great when it's really all falling apart. But I do speak faith even when things are falling apart, but I don't deny it. We don't deny the situation. We just know that there's a greater, a greater situation happening, and that's God's promises and plans, okay? So I don't dwell on the negative, dwell on what God is doing. But here's the thing. You will feel these. You will be in these, and I'll be in 100 more before I go meet Jesus. That's a fact. But what maturity will be is you living like that through it. And I'll give you another example of this as we get ready to close out. Just these last two weeks, well, I'll say last two months, we have had life, death, life, death. Jessica, brand new baby, amazing. Uh, Yolis, brand new baby, amazing. David, chicken pollo sack, where we're going after this, brand new baby, amazing, right? And there's been a few others as well. Lydia and, and Peter, baby, amazing. What also happens, and some of them almost on the same day, Brian's dad passed away immediately, you know, uh, unexpectedly, tragically from a heart attack. Jerry's mom is given a few weeks to live. Well, put yourself in my position as a pastor. How in the world do you go from one phone call with Juan, who's so pumped, like, dude, yeah, baby, uh, Zuli is amazing. Oh, yeah, is she doing this? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, so awesome. I bet you it feels great. Okay, Brian, how does it feel, dude? Just heard your dad passed, man. I'm so sorry. How do you do that? I literally have to do that. Literally have to do that. People call that bipolar in the world. We call it ministry. Why? Because we live here. Jesus was the same way. Jesus could know there was a funeral. Somebody died, this and that. And at the same time, he could be playing with children. You don't let the world get in here. We are here in the kingdom, but we are not out here in this world. Our soul is in the kingdom. We are protected by the kingdom. That's why it says in verse 13, I can do all this. I can do funerals and baby phone calls, celebrate. I can do all this the same day. Why? Through him who gives me strength. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to give you strength to remain stable in the ministry. Let's stand up and give it up for the Holy Spirit. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 
Oh, Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, that you're speaking. Lord, you said that we overcome the devil by the word of our testimony, the blood of the lamb and not loving our lives unto death. Thank you for letting me share my testimony here. I now pray that each one of them will develop their testimony with you, that they will be able to stand here from now, uh, 20 years from now, Lord willing, by your spirit, able to testify about all you've done in their lives. So God, we surrender to you. We surrender to you both the mountaintops and the valleys, and we ask you to be Lord of both and to keep us steady in your spirit. Help us not to be driven by the stresses and the victories of life, not to be driven to keep winning and winning, and if we lose, we can't take it, or to be driven by losing and always being depressing, thinking we'll never win. Help us to be steady in the situations of winning and losing, having a lot and having little. I pray that each person here, should you tarry, will complete their journey on this earth to their last breath, living for you, being faithful by your strength, by your power, by you who lives within them. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.